Thanks for downloading the RCF podcast. You're about to hear a message from Bishop Darlingston Johnson in night three of the Gathering 2015 conference. Father, you are present in this place. Once again, we're totally dependent upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit whom you have given for the very purpose of revealing Jesus. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Thank you for giving me utterance and giving your people understanding of the things that you want to reveal tonight. Because you are faithful, we expect it to happen. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to the word, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 to verse 20. 1 John 4, 16 to 20. And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. Now, when Dr. Lyons was ministering, she had the benefit. So I kind of like that too. So if, if you can give me those scriptures when I call them on the screen, I would appreciate that. Now, I generally use the New King James, so we can use that, okay? But we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear hath torment or punishment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. How many of you would like to be made perfect in love? Amen. And when you're made perfect in love, all fear vanishes. So any, any types of fear that we are dealing with is an indication that we have not yet been perfected in love. But when we're perfect in love, all fear is cast out of our lives. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Okay, now here's a caveat before I go into uh, my teaching tonight. I love God. Okay? And I desire to love God more. And I desire you to love God. And I'm sure many of you here, if not all of you, you love God. And your desire is to love God more. And God desires you to love him as well. Okay? That's my, I needed to say that first. Because what I'm about to say, if I didn't say this, you might want to stone me. So having said that, I want to say this to you now. Stop trying to love God. I said, stop trying to love God. Now, I didn't say do not love God. That's not what I said. I said stop trying to love God. Stop it. Now, remember what I said earlier, so don't stone me yet, okay? Now, listen to me. You may not agree with everything I say exactly the way I say it tonight, and that's okay. 
Okay, if you maybe I said it a certain way, you didn't like the sentence, you didn't like the way I said it, and you don't quite agree with the way I said it, that's okay. I just want you to catch the spirit of what I'm saying. So you, you might disagree with how I phrase certain things tonight. If you do, that's okay. Just understand the spirit with which I'm speaking tonight. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop trying to love God. Okay, I didn't say don't love him. I said stop trying. Now, why would I say that? Why would I say to you, stop trying to love God? Didn't Jesus say when he was approaching, he was asked a question concerning what the greatest commandment is. Did not Jesus himself say that the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God? And that I'm, I have the audacity to tell you, stop trying. Heretic. Amen. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, thy mind, thy soul, your strength. And then, of course, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and he said, these are the two greatest commandments. The first is to love God with all your heart. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus did indeed say that. But I'm still saying to you, in spite of that, I'm still saying to you, stop trying to love God. Why am I saying that? Well, Jesus said that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as thyself. He said that's the sum total of the law. So in other words, you can take the Ten Commandments and you can really reduce the Ten Commandments to those two laws. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart covers the first four. That's like the first tablet. There are two tablets. So the first tablet focuses upon our relationship with God and God's requirement under the old covenant of Israel, there are four specific commandments. Jesus said you can take all of that and you can reduce it to this. Love God with all your heart and you'll fulfill the first four. The second six has to do with loving people. Don't steal, don't kill. has to do with your relationships. And so the, the second tablet is, is, is fulfilled and is summarized in this, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so what we have here is really a, a rearticulation of the law, the Ten Commandments, reduced to its lowest common denominator. Okay? So when he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as yourself, he's really giving you the Ten Commandments. Correct? Now, I'm saying stop trying to love God. I'm really saying stop trying to keep the commandments. Stop trying to keep the Ten Commandments in your relationship with God. Now, I know I got scriptural authority to say that because Romans chapter 6, 14 says to us who are believers, sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under the law. So you're not under the Ten Commandments, and since the, the greatest commandment and the second are really but a rearticulation of the Ten Commandments, I have authority to say to you, you're no longer under the commandment that says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Uh oh, the rocks are coming out. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul said, we have died to the law. Again, we don't have the time to go there, but go there sometime and you'll see that Paul very specifically said of us, we are dead to the law. 
And he said it was necessary for us to die to the law in order that we might be married to another, which is Christ, so we can bring forth fruit unto God. So the, the goal is to bring forth fruit unto God. But Paul said in order for that to happen, the relationship we had with the law in the old covenant had to come to an end, that there had to be a legal uh, uh, end to our marriage to the law so that we could legally be joined to Christ in order to bring forth fruit unto God. Jesus could not become joined to us legally until our relationship with the law has ended. At least that's what Paul is saying. And he uses the marriage analogy to help us understand. If I'm married to a particular person and I then choose to get married to another person while that person is still alive and we're still married legally, this becomes adultery. Correct? So, so, so God's intention is for us to bring forth fruit unto God. And the only way for us to bring forth fruit unto God is to be joined, married to Christ. But we cannot be married to Christ legally unless Jesus will be committing spiritual adultery until our marriage to the law has come to an end. But the only way that marriage to the law can come to an end is if there is a death. Either I got to die or the law got to die. Okay, that's not my message, but I just wanted to let you know I have scriptural authority here. Because Paul said, on the basis of that, God brought this relationship with the law to an end, legally, by causing us, or by putting us to death in Christ Jesus on the cross. So in the, the law couldn't die. So God found a way for us to die. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it wasn't that Jesus alone that died. We died in him. And since a death has occurred, our death in the cross, the relationship with the law is legally over. Now, because that relationship with the law has ended, I can be joined to Christ now. And being joined to Christ, I can bring forth fruit, or Christ can bring forth fruit through me that glorifies God. That's, that's just on the side. That's not the, I'm, I, okay, I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know that, that the, the Bible teaches, and there's theology and, and Bible behind it, that your relationship with the law has come to an end. You have died to the law. And if you've died to the law, then you have died to the law that says, thou shalt love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You're dead to that law. Therefore, stop trying to keep it. You got a relationship with Jesus now. Stop trying to go back to that relationship. That should be over. Are you with me? You, you, you put, I, I, okay, I see you guys are beginning to put the rocks down now. Good, good. Um, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's safe once again for me. Say hallelujah. Amen. Now, so we have died to the law. We're no longer under the law. Why did God release us from the law? Why? Because of the weakness of the flesh, we could not fulfill the law. You see, if we could have brought fruit unto God through our relationship with the law, 
God would have kept that in place. But the fact is, nothing's wrong with the law. The law is perfect. We're not. And because of that, we were unequally yoked, so to speak. We could not bring forth fruit through our relationship with the law. And because we could not bring forth fruit unto God, God needed to release us from the law in order to be able to join us to Christ so that we could, or Christ could bear fruit through us. Hallelujah. So Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all means all. So no matter how hard you try, or I try, or anybody tries, to bring forth fruit unto God through the law, no matter how hard you try to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, you keep falling short. That's just a fact. How many of you here can say to me, no, no, that, that commandment to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I have kept it. Nobody, right? So the truth is the law is good, love, but God released us from it because we could not fulfill it. Now, did God do away with the law? No. He kept the law, but he sent Jesus on a mission to fulfill it for us. So Jesus says, when he's talking to the folks, he says, listen, don't think I came to destroy the law in Matthew chapter 5. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. Now, who was he fulfilling it for? You and me. Again, I don't want to go too deep into this, but it, the reason Jesus has to fulfill it is so that God can legally release us from it. Because the law is, is good, and the law is right, and the law is just, and the law needs to be fulfilled, or we cannot be released from it. So Jesus comes on a mission to fulfill the law for us, in our stead, on our behalf, as us. In our place. So he obeys every commandment and fulfills the law perfectly on our behalf. So now, because Jesus has fulfilled the law, every time you read the commandment that says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, instead of getting condemned, and feeling like a failure, and feeling, once again, your relationship with God is not what it needs to be because you haven't kept this commandment. Every time you hear any of the commandments, you ought to raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law for me. Come on, come on, come on. Raise your hand and say, thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law for me. So I don't need to try to keep that law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and strength. Something I cannot do. And if I try to do it, I'm going to always be under condemnation and guilt. I don't need to try to do it because Jesus fulfilled it for me. Now I can lift up my hands and I can say, thank you, Jesus. You fulfilled it for me. And therefore, I don't have to try to fulfill it. In order to please God or to be in relationship with God, you fulfilled it. 
I mean, if you have a mortgage and you're paying $2,000 a month and, and, and somebody pays it off, they fulfill the obligations that you had under that contract. Why would you continue to send $2,000 a month to the mortgage company? Amen? It's paid for. It's fulfilled. It's done. You're released from that burden. You no longer have to try to do that. The house is yours now. It's paid for. So Jesus has fulfilled the law and all of the requirements of the law concerning you and how it once would have impacted your relationship with God. So any time now the law comes up, instead of feeling condemned and guilty and feel that somehow you cannot have a relationship with God or your relationship with God, with, with, with God is suffering because you are not keeping this commandment perfectly, you need to remind yourself, Jesus fulfilled it and you're no longer under that obligation. And God is no longer requiring you to keep that commandment. Pastors agree with me. I don't know about the rest of you, but as long as Pastor Felix is saying amen and hallelujah, I'm okay. <laughs> amen. So here's the question. We're no longer under this law. We're no longer required to keep this commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. We're no longer required to do that, period. And so the question now, Bishop, are you saying that in the new covenant we're not expected to love God? To the contrary. To the contrary, I believe in the new covenant we're expected to love God. In fact, to love God far more than they ever could have loved God in the old covenant. Amen? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'm not saying we're not expected to love him, nor am I saying that we won't love him. But I'm saying in the new covenant, God does not command you to love him like he commanded them to love him in the old covenant. He wants you to love him. He desires you to love him. But he doesn't want you trying to love him in order to fulfill a law that says, thou shall love him. Yeah, you got to hear me. There are a lot of Christians who are trying to love God to fulfill a commandment that says, thou shall love God. Because they think God is requiring that of them today. And that their relationship with God depends upon how well they are fulfilling that commandment. And on days when they feel they're loving God a lot, they feel good about that relationship. And on days when they feel, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I love God today, you know, they feel the relationship has suffered. So now the relationship with God is going up and down, going up and down, going up and down, fluctuating because they think their relationship with God is based upon how much or how well they're doing in loving God. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. This is what I'm saying. God wants us to love him. What father doesn't want his children to love him? God desires us to love him. And under the new covenant, our love for God really ought to be so much greater than those who loved him under the old covenant. But God in the new covenant is not commanding you to love him. Pastor Felix? Do you love Pastor K? Let's hear that. Let's hear that. Do you love Pastor K? Enough to marry her, right? To share your life with her. To have children with her. To give her access to all your money, right? 
<laughs> Say hallelujah. All right, so now that we know that you love her that much, I have a question for you. To what do you attribute this love? Here you are, you love her enough to ask her to marry you. You love her enough to share your life with her, and you got guys that have been married now for how many years? 33, 33 and I, by the grace of God, you're going to spend another 33 years plus together. You don't, you don't have a future. You don't, you don't see yourself in the future without her. So you're planning to share your life with her for as long as God gave you life with this woman. You've had children with her, and all that is yours, whatever wealth or resources that God has blessed you with, is hers. So to what do you attribute this love for her? Now, now uh, is it to a law which you are doing your very best to obey? I mean, when you asked her to marry you, was it because there was a law, there was a commandment? Somebody said, whoever that person was, somebody you were afraid of, said, thou shalt marry Katani. Thou shalt share your life with her. Thou shalt have children with her. Thou shalt share all your resources. And now, because of fear of what may happen if you don't obey that law, you are trying your best, and every day you are trying to love her because you're trying to keep this commandment. Is that why? Is that what you attribute your love for her to? Now, Pastor K, if you knew he was trying to love you, doing his best to love you with all of his heart, with all of his mind and all of his strength. And he, he, he was very diligent at it. So every morning he got up, he made sure he said, I love you. And you knew he was trying. And, 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 you know, he brought you breakfast in bed and you know he was doing it because there was a law. He was trying to do it. And, and, and he spent money on you because he was trying. And you knew he was doing this in obedience to a law that commanded him to. Would you be able to experience any of that as love? No. He would not enjoy doing it because it would be a chore, and you would not experience it as love. You will always know he's only doing this because of a law. That's not love. If the love, quote-unquote, is the result of a decision to obey a commandment, that says thou must. So I'm trying because, listen to me, if I'm trying to love God because of a commandment, it's going to be a chore. There will be no joy for me in it, nor any joy for God in it. Because God would know you're just doing this because of a law. So this is what happened. This is what really happened with you, Pastor, Pastor Felix. One day you met Katani. And you started to get to know her. And the more you got to know her, you saw her beauty both outwardly and inwardly. And the more you saw how beautiful she was outwardly and inwardly, 
And the more you got to know her, and you got to discover that she loved you too. So the more you got to know her, the more you saw her beauty outwardly, inwardly, her character, everything. And you got acquainted with her. And then in the process discovered that this woman also loves you. And you began to see the kind of sacrifices she was willing to make. The kinds of things she was willing to do for you. Knowing her and the beauty that you saw in her. And experiencing the kind of love she had for you. Caused a love on the inside of you to begin to grow. And to begin to increase and to increase. And all of that happened without a command. The truth is, as you got to know her and to believe in her love for you, you didn't have to try to love her. You just loved her. And the more you got to know her and experience her love for you and see her beauty, the more you loved her. And the more you got to know her and see how beautiful she is inside and outside, and the more you experience her love for you, you just got to love her more and more. Not, 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 not too long ago, well, it's been over a year now, maybe two years, my wife and I, sometimes I go, I'm not very faithful, she's more faithful than I am in walking. But this particular day, both of us were outside, and we were walking in the morning, and she was ahead of me. And, and I looked at her, and, 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 and as, I, as I saw her, I was just filled. It just dawned on me how much she, she gives for me, sacrificially. And, and when I contemplated how much she loved me, and how many sacrifices she makes, and how she goes out of her way to take care of me. As I saw that, love in my heart begin to, to, to build and to rise. And, 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 you know, and I just wanted to love her more. It was like I was falling in love again. And I, and I remember praying. I said, Lord, help me to love that girl even more. No command. I wasn't trying. Just, just seeing how beautiful she was and then seeing how much she loves me provoked a response in me. I don't get up every day trying my best to love her. I love her, and I keep loving her more and more as I get to know her and see her beauty and appreciate the love she has for me. So the goal... To love God is praiseworthy. But trying to love God out of obedience to a commandment is the wrong way to go about it. There'll be no joy in it, not for you, not for God, and ultimately, it'll never be fulfilled. You'll never reach the goal. Because the most you can do with that is outward. All you can do, quote-unquote, with that, if you're doing it out of duty, is you can do these outward things. But what God wants is your heart. So this is what I'm saying. Listen to what, listen, we read a scripture earlier from 1 John chapter 4. Look at, let me repeat what John said in verse 20. John said, if a man say, I love God, 
and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In other words, this is what John is saying. You cannot love anybody you do not know. Especially God whom you have not seen. No, I'm not sure you heard that. This is what John is saying. You say you love God whom you haven't seen. He says that's not possible. Because in essence he's saying you cannot love somebody you don't know. Cannot. So here is the point I'm making. Stop trying to love God and start getting to know God. Oh, yo, 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 but yeah, yeah. Start trying to love him. Start getting to know him and to believe the love he has for you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Because when you start to know God for who he is and you start to see the love that he has for you, you will love God more by accident than you ever could love God by intentional uh, decision to love by, through a commandment. And this is exactly what John says in the text we read. He says, and verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And then he goes on to say in the same passage, we love him because he first loved us. So that our love for God is the result of knowing God and knowing his love for us and believing his love for us. And then he says, this is how our love is made perfect. Your love is perfected to the degree that you know and believe God's love for you. So, if you and I stop trying to love God in response to a commandment, and instead start getting to know God and his love for us. That's why that song we were singing, that last song, the reason why you were being blessed so much and you were falling in love with God as you sang that is because you were singing about God's love for you. Oh, yeah, 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 you, you, you thought I was worth it. You did this. You were describing God's love. You were singing about God's love. And without anybody having to tell you to love God, your heart starts to get filled with love because when you contemplate the love of God, when you see who God is and get to know God and you start believing his love for you, your love for God is effortless. So here, this is what I'm saying. Stop trying to love God. Start getting to know God. Every day seek to get to know God better. Every day seek to know God's love for you. And to believe God's love for you. And if you start doing that and you start believing that, what happened to Pastor Felix in regards to Pastor K will start happening to you in regards to God. And you won't even be trying. You will be resting. And you'll be resting. And as you rest in God's love for you, you'll find that your love for God will keep building and building and building and building. 
And he said, Bishop, what difference does this make, does this make, does this make on a day-to-day practical basis for us as Christians? It makes a lot of difference. And let me, let me just, I'm going to wrap this up. But I want to show you something because it does make a difference. Whether you're trying to love God and basing your relationship with God on how much you love him versus believing God's love for you and focusing on that. Too many believers are focusing on their love for God and they think that is how they grow. They think that that is what will make them faithful. They think that is what is going to make them obedient. Their love for God. And so their relationship with God is based on their love for God. But because their love for God is not perfect and because our love for God fluctuates, when your relationship with God is based upon your love for God, you will find that that relationship will fluctuate. And because your relationship with God is based upon your love for God, you will always find yourself doubting what God can and will do for you because you are always going to be conscious of the fact that your love is imperfect. So your faith will suffer. Your confidence will suffer. Your intimacy with God will suffer because in your mind, what God would do for you and how open God is to you at any point in time depends upon the degree of love you have for him. So let me, let me illustrate this. There, there are two people in the Bible that we, that we know of, two of Jesus' disciples. One is Peter and the other is John. Remember both of them, right? And, and I, want, I want you to see the difference between the two and then I'll suggest the reason why I think there was a difference. Um, at the Lord's, the Last Supper in John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples Peter and John and all of them are there. And uh, Jesus begins to talk about the person who's going to betray him. One of you will betray me. And of course, all the disciples begin to wonder, who is this? Hmm? In John chapter 13, and John is the one writing this, John says, and he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. He says, the disciple, the one who Jesus loves, he's referring to himself was leaning on the bosom of Jesus. Now, physically, he's leaning on the bosom. He's close. That portrays a very intimate relationship with Jesus. I mean, all of these men are there. All of the disciples love Jesus. They're all there. But John is sitting so close to Jesus that he's literally leaning on the bosom of Jesus. Picture that. And John describes himself as He doesn't use his name, but the one whom Jesus loves. And the Bible tells us that Peter is curious. Peter wants to know who is the person who will betray Jesus. But instead of asking Jesus directly, Jesus, who are you talking about? Peter talks to John and tells John to ask Jesus. There's a difference here. Seems to me Peter doesn't have the kind of intimacy and confidence in his relationship with Jesus to ask such a personal question. And he wasn't sure that Jesus would tell him. 
but he sees John, and he sees the kind of intimate relationship John has with Jesus. And so instead of talking to Jesus directly, he talks to John and says, John, you talk. That's like some of us when we're in trouble. We don't have the confidence that God will hear us when we pray. Amen. So we go to someone who we believe is real close to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Someone who's real intimate with Jesus and say, you know what? I want you to pray for me. Amen. And it's okay. It's okay to ask folks to pray for you, but it's not okay to ask them to pray for you because you don't think God's going to hear you. Because you question your own relationship with God. You just don't feel you're close enough. Your love isn't as perfect. You are very conscious of all of the ways by which you fall short in your love for him. And now this is impacting your confidence that when you pray, he'll hear you and that you can pray for about anything and he will hear your prayer. So there's a difference here. Now, once Peter says to John, find out John doesn't hesitate. He admits to Jesus who it is. No hesitancy at all. Nothing, no check in his spirit. No questioning whether Jesus will reveal this intimate detail to me. He acts and Jesus answers. There's a difference here. Let's, let's, let's see something else. Uh, uh, at the cross, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was nowhere to be found. Come on, you hear me. You know the story. Uh, yeah, yeah, Peter had denied Jesus three times. John was the only one of all the disciples who did not run away or betray Jesus. He was there at the cross. Everybody else had run. They had fled. John was right there. And when you read the account again, when John speaks of this, I think it's in John chapter 20, he refers to himself again because Jesus is on the cross, right? And Jesus wants to make provision for his mother. And Jesus looks at John, you know, and, and this is how John said, Jesus said to the one whom he loved, behold your mother, behold your son. John was at the cross to the very last minute, never betrayed Jesus, didn't deny him. Peter was gone. All the other disciples were gone. But John was at the foot of the cross. And John referred to himself again as the one whom Jesus loves. Then we see John again in, I think it's chapter 21, of, of, of the, of his, of the, when Jesus has risen and Jesus is at the seashore. And Peter has gone fishing, right? And Jesus shows up, and at first nobody recognizes him. Then Jesus speaks, and he says, children, have you anything to eat? And the scripture says, the one whom Jesus loved recognized his voice and said, that's Jesus. I know that voice. The other disciples didn't know, but as soon as Jesus spoke, the one whom Jesus loves, that's how he referred to himself, said, that's the Lord, he told Peter. <laughs> and then later on in the same chapter, 
John chapter 21, Jesus begins to speak to Peter. Do you love me? And, you know, you can, you can exegete that. That's also helpful, but I don't have the time for that. But, but after that discussion with Peter, then the Bible says Peter looked and he saw, and look how John referred to himself, as the one whom Jesus loved following him. And Jesus, and Peter asked a question, what about this one? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, you know what, you just take care of your own business. <laughs> if I want him to tarry until I return, that's my business. And then John gave the explanation. He said, now that's why there was a rumor that he, John, would never die. Because they heard. He says, but Jesus didn't say I would never die. Jesus just said, if he wanted me to tarry until he comes, he could do it. Incidentally, John was the only one they couldn't kill. They tried to kill him, tried to kill him, tried to kill him. They couldn't kill him. He ended up on the island of Patmos, and he literally he, he died after, I don't know how old he was, but an old man. They couldn't kill him. There's something about the Holy Spirit having John focus on this. The one whom Jesus loved. 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 What accounts for the difference between Peter and John. I submit to you, it was not because Peter didn't love Jesus, but it was because Peter was basing his relationship with Jesus on how much he loved Jesus. And he was trusting his love for Jesus to keep him. And so when Jesus is speaking about what's going to happen, how he's going to be arrested, and Jesus says, you all are going to betray me, some of you. Peter said, I will never, 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 if everybody else denies you or betrays you, I will never. Jesus said, you are going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And at that point, Peter was even more determined to, no, 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 no not me, master. He, he loved the Lord, but the mistake was he was putting his confidence and basing this relationship with Jesus on how much he loved Jesus. And as we can see from the outcome of the story, his love for Jesus could not sustain him in the hour of testing and trial. Because just like us, his love also wavered. And so, so he thought that when his love waned, that Jesus' relationship with him waned. And when his love waned, that Jesus' love for him waned. When his love waned, that Jesus wouldn't hear his prayer and wouldn't reveal the intimate things because he thought his relationship with Jesus was based upon how much he loved Jesus. And at one point in time, he thought he loved Jesus enough to keep him no matter what happened. That was his approach to his relationship Trying to love God to the best of his ability. He did love God, but not enough. Stop trying to love God. Stop trying to base your relationship with him, your faithfulness, your intimacy, your prayer life, your communion, your ministry. Whatever it is, stop trying to make that relationship with Jesus dependent upon how much you love him and how well you're doing in your love like him. Yeah. 
shift and take John's posture. Because you see, John was the only one who remained faithful through it all. He was the only one who did not deny him. And by the way, he was the one that Jesus entrusted his mother to. Now, you, you can imagine, in terms of earthly things, nothing more precious than Jesus' mother. Who did Jesus give his mother to? Not the ones who were trying to love him. But the one who kept reminding himself, he loves me. 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 You see, the more you know he loves you, the more he can trust you. Because while he knows that your love will fluctuate, his love for you will never, 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 never fluctuate. Are you really, really getting this today? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Amen. Amen. So that's the key. That's the secret to loving him is stop trying to do it. And instead, keep reminding yourself. Keep being reminded in the songs you sing. When you get before him and in your prayer closet, don't go there trying to love him. Just go there trying to see how much he loves you. Now, 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 now I understand, Pastor, why when you, when you look at Paul's prayers for the church, I may be wrong, but I don't recall Paul ever praying for our love for God. Yeah. I'm not sure. I know he sometimes prays for our love for yeah, others yeah, to increase. Yeah. But I don't, ever, I don't think I ever see where he prays that our love for God will increase. Yeah, yeah. But what he prays for all the time yeah. is that you will know yeah, yeah. the love yeah. of God for you. That you will know the length, the height, the depth, and his breadth. And this is what he says, so that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. So the key to fullness is knowing the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height of God's love for you. And the more you know and believe, don't just know it here, believe it. <laughs> Amen? The more you know, like John, and believe the love he has for you, the more perfect your love for him becomes. And the more you experience the fullness of the Spirit. I spoke this morning and I told you the importance of praying in tongues. But in Jude chapter 20, Jude chapter 20, said praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God. Again, even praying in tongues is to help you. Keep yourself in the love of God. The revelation, keep yourself walking in that revelation of God's love for you. Father, take this word and by your spirit, Open our eyes and cause us to see it. And may we from this day grow in the revelation of your love for us. Father, we are going to stop trying to love you. We have learned tonight our relationship with you is not based on our love for you, but it's based upon your love for us. And like the Apostle John, we want to become convinced more and more that we are the ones you love. Help us to see this, oh God. Open our eyes, for the more we see this, the more like you we become. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope that you can find a way to impact the community around you through this church or a local church around you. We also encourage you to find a church to get connected to, whether that's here at RCF or somewhere close to you. If you want to find out more about RCF, visit rcfministries.org or watch us live on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on the RCF Network. Thanks for listening.